There will not be a scripture reading ahead of time this morning. We are in our, I think, our fourth week in our sermon series in the book of Proverbs. And if you've been with us for those four weeks, that's great. I hope that these are instructive to you. If you've missed a few, you can always catch up on our website or the podcast. And um, this series is called Proverbs, a Master Class in Life. And that's what we need. We need God to teach us how to live. I'm not sure how many of you remember having the talk with your parents. You know, maybe your mom or dad sat you down and said, Son, when a boy gets to a certain age and they start to become more and more mature, there are certain things that they need to know. And I think the, now is the right time to talk about this with you. Pretty soon you're going to need to learn how to safely drive a car. <laughs> Did you think I was talking about the other talk? <laughs> well, we'll get to that. But all, all kidding aside, there are certain parts of life that are both good and dangerous. Uh, we handle these issues with care. So take driving, for example. Uh, young people learn by watching their parents drive, and then they take driver's ed when they get to that certain age. Then they take a test to get a permit with which they can practice for many, many hours with an adult in the vehicle. And then they take a driving test to get their license, which is then restricted for a number of months. Um, and you see, we, we handle this with extreme care because even though driving is a good thing, it's very dangerous. Or how about, how about guns? We have hunter safety courses. I know Colin has taught a number of them, where kids learn how to handle a hunting weapon with care. Because when guns are used properly for that purpose, they're good. But when they're used carelessly, they are extremely deadly. Now, you may have read the sermon title, which is, which is this, Handle with Care, God's Wisdom for Our Sexuality. Sexuality is a good, God-given part of who we are, what it means to be human. It's a gift from God. And yet, it is an explosively powerful force in your life. It can bring great joy. It can also bring great pain and great hurt. So we all need to learn how to handle this with care. Now, I know all of us here are not coming at this with a blank slate. Um, some of us got the talk from our parents. Um, some of our parents instructed us in how to protect and nurture our sexuality God's way, but most of us, to be honest, never did. Some of us were like, handed the keys and said, figure it out. Some of us were taught in actually really bad ways how to use our sexuality. And all of us, to one degree or another, have been injured in that department. Some of you Know the pain of making bad decisions with your body. Some of you know the pain of 
having bad things done to you. For some of you, uh, some of us, sexuality is a source of shame. For others, it's a, a source of frustration. And maybe some of us are simply struggling with temptation and 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 feel tired of the struggle. Well, thankfully, God, the God who created you and created your sexuality wants to teach you how to use it, how to handle it with care. And that's why we have passages like Proverbs 5 through 7. These three chapters, with the you know, exception of a chunk of chapter 6, are all talking about our sexuality. It's one of the longest passages in the whole Bible about sex. And so think of it as the talk from a loving and wise father to you. Maybe it's the talk that you never had from anyone else. And there's more wisdom in here than we can cover today. I'm going to touch on different parts of these three chapters. And I want to draw out three specific things that you need to know about how to handle your sexuality with care. So it can be something in which you flourish and are not harmed or harm others. Handle with care. So number one, number one, beware of bitter honey. Beware of bitter honey. Let's read Proverbs 5, chapter, or chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. We read, My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight, that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. Okay, so we have to listen because this is important. Verse 3, For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. Now, the first thing we have here is a warning. The character representing sexual temptation in Proverbs is called the adulterous woman. He's not just talking about adultery, although that is the main temptation that this uh, figurative son will face because he is a young man about to get married and the father is saying, watch out for adultery, for trying to satisfy your sexuality outside your marriage. But um, we can all hear these words like the son whom the father is addressing. And sexual temptation comes to us in many forms. Premarital sex, pornography, adultery, as Jesus said, even lustful thoughts and desires. Now, whatever sexual sin tempts you, it seems as sweet as honey. I like what Ray Ortland said about these verses, quote, If only evil were always ugly, life would be simpler. If only everything were color-coded to make it obvious, if only there were warning labels on all the poisons. But in this world, he says, disaster can be attractive. And that's what it is with sexual temptation. It seems as sweet as honey, but in the end, 
it's as bitter as gall. Gall is a very bitter substance made out of wormwood or something else. Think about like the vanilla extract that you watched your mom measure out to make chocolate chip cookies. And when you smelled the bottle, it smelled so good. And then you stole a little, a little sample for yourself and were bitterly disappointed. That is not what it should taste like, right? Sexual sin is like that. It never delivers what it promises. It promises sweetness, but it delivers bitterness. It promises fulfillment, but leaves you frustrated. It promises life, but brings death. It promises heaven, but brings hell. So beware of bitter honey. Now, it might actually taste sweet for a while, but what really matters is where it ends, where it goes. And he says here, in the end, she is bitter as gall, and her steps lead down to the grave. The wise person thinks about where they're going, where things are taking them. So beware of the bitter honey of sexual temptation. Some of us have learned this the hard way. But if you haven't, save yourself the pain and the bitterness and learn from these words. Beware of the bitter honey of sexual sin. But as we'll see next, there, there is also something very positive we need to know. <clears throat> so number two, drink from your own well. This is uh, chapter 5, verses 15 through 19. Did you know that God intends for your sexuality to have a good purpose in your life? A good purpose. And if you are married, here's what that looks like. Let's read 5, 15 through 17. He says, drink water from your own cistern. I'll give you a clue. He's not talking about water here. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares? Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. So, so here's the metaphor. Here's what sex is meant to be. A deep well of delight shared between a husband and a wife. TV and movies will tell us that the fewer limits you place on your sexuality, the more fulfilled you will be. But it's actually the op- opposite. <coughs> sexuality is meant to be a deep and narrow well that goes down to clean water, not a broad and shallow like storm drain in the streets. The very thing that makes it good is its depth and narrowness. And that can only happen in the intimacy and commitment, the covenant of a marriage between a man and a woman. Let's read verses 17 through 18. And um, if these words make you blush, it's okay. You can just say it was the sun. Verses, sorry, verses 18 and 19. He says, May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. 
This is erotic language. Don't forget, this is the Bible here. And, and here the father speaking is like giving his blessing on the, the son and the daughter-in-law's marriage bed. He, he's telling them to enjoy a long and frequent love life. Does that surprise you? I mean, we have this idea that God is like anti-sex or anti-pleasure, but that is not true. God invented our sexuality. And these words, like a loving deer, doe, a graceful deer, they may not have the same gist for us today. But think about when you see a deer, how, uh, you know, the, the black eyes and the sleek limbs and the silky hair. You can see how in the ancient world that was a symbol of sexual desire. Kind of that alluring nature. And look at this word, intoxicated. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. This means exactly what it seems like it means. He's saying, he's saying, be wild about your life. Let her love, about your wife, let her love drive you crazy. This is, this is what God thinks about sex in marriage. Now, now many of you here are married. And in order to handle your sexuality with care, don't suppress it, but express it fully, as fully and frequently as possible within that deep well of marriage. That's actually the wise, godly thing to do. You know, in the days of the Puritans in New England, I read a story that one woman told her church and her pastor that her husband was neglecting their sex life. And the church disciplined that man and removed him from membership. <laughs> now, now, don't worry, that wouldn't happen here. I don't think that's the way we would handle that particular sin. But it, it's a serious thing. This is a matter of obedience to God. If you want to flourish in your sexuality that God made, don't suppress it. Your marriage is, is a place to express that as fully and frequently and joyfully as possible. Now, for some of the married couples here, there may be reasons why this is not happening. And I would say to you, talk about those reasons with each other. Be honest with one another. Um, there may be things you need to confess to one another or things you may need to be healed from, or get counseling for, or even get medical help for, or work out together. But even if there are serious physical limitations in the way, God wants you to express your sexuality as fully as possible within your marriage. Now, some of you aren't married. Some of you are still young and single, or, or divorced, or widowed. And it may seem like God is kind of slamming the door in your face and shutting you out of all this joy. Well, I'll speak more about that at the end, but for now I want to say this, that your sexuality is a gift, even if it seems to be sitting on the shelf. Even if it's not being expressed, your sexuality is a gift. So, if you are married, drink from your own well. Now, number three, 
Don't play with fire. Don't play with fire. This is in chapter 6, verses 27 to 29. Let's read those verses. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? I think the answer he's going for is no. Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? No. So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. When we violate God's design for our sexuality, there are consequences. We are playing with fire. Fire in the wood stove is a good thing, but fire in your lap is a bad thing, right? And here again, the Father is specifically talking about adultery, which is terribly destructive because it violates one or more marriage covenants. It rips families apart. It has generational effects. But the lie of any sexual sin is that there will be no consequences. No one's going to know. No one's going to get hurt. But all sexual sin has consequences. It just does. When you violate that central part of who you are, as made in the image of God. It may be the destruction of your family or reputation. It may be the pain and regret of, of giving your body to many different people. <clears throat> Maybe the way that pornography rewires your brain and takes it over and leaves you completely unsatisfied. Sexual sin always has consequences. So that's another reason to handle with care. In order to illustrate the warnings here, the father um, tells a little cautionary tale uh, in chapter 7. So I want to just use this as kind of an extended illustration. So chapter 7, starting in verse 6. The father tells a little story. He says, At the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice. I saw among the simple... I noticed among the young men a youth who had no sense. Okay, so this is a young man who hasn't learned the lessons the father has given. He's naive about his sexuality. So what happens to him? Verse 8. He was going down the street near her corner. He's talking about a, an adulterous woman, i.e. sexual <laughs> temptation. Walking along in the direction of her house as twilight, as the day was fading as the dark of night set in. Here the ominous music began to swell. This isn't going to end well for this guy. Verse 10. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. Notice that this woman is dressed to kill, literally, and outwardly she reveals a lot, but inwardly she's hiding her true intentions. This man can't see this. So what happens to him? Verse 13. <clears throat> she took hold of him and kissed him. And with a brazen face, she said, Today I have fulfilled my vows, and I have food from my fellowship offering at home. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you and have found you. I have covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt, like luxury. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, 
Let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money and will be home, not be home till full moon. So this young man must think like, it's my lucky day. Look how she makes him feel so special and so desired. Look how she promises the most sensual pleasures. She even promises secrecy and privacy. No one will know. And she even uses religion to try to seduce him. I have fulfilled my vows and have food for my fellowship offerings at home. In other words, I'm all prayed up. God doesn't mind. I even have some leftover food from the church potluck that I need help eating. Does this guy, do you think this guy is smart enough to avoid this temptation? Let's read verse 21. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. That's that sweet honey of sexual sin. All at once he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter. Like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Now listen to the closing remarks here. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Don't fall victim to sexual immorality. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. This is so not what the world says. The world tells us, express yourself, however, whenever, with whoever possible, whatever makes you feel good. But sexual immorality is a highway to the grave. Many are the victims it has brought down. This story has played out countless times. We all know people who have followed that path of sexual sin and never come back. So don't let it happen to you. You know, I struggled with the fact that this passage is so full of warnings. Warning after warning after warning. It almost feels like Give us some credit here, right? And yet I think it shows that we are all vulnerable to sexual sin. Don't think that you're not vulnerable to it. Maybe the particular form to which you're vulnerable is not something obvious like adultery, but we're all vulnerable. So beware. Beware of bitter honey. Drink from your own cistern, your own well, and don't play with fire. Now, some of you today, after hearing all this, may be feeling like, where's the hope? Where's the good news? This doesn't sound like good news to me. Maybe you're just feeling broken with your sexuality. Like, why didn't I hear this 5 or 10 or 30 years ago? Because I've made all these mistakes and now I'm just broken. It could be that you're in a marriage where the well has, quite frankly, run dry. And you think, this is great in theory, but this is so unrealistic. 
You don't know what it's like to be in my shoes. Some of you are unmarried or divorced or widowed or young and single, and maybe you feel like, what am I supposed to do with all this raging desire inside me? How, how can God be good and tell me to not act on that? Maybe one or two of you here are experiencing same-sex attraction. And you think, I have these desires that, that God says I can never act on, and that just feels cruel. So, so what do we do? My final admonition to you is simply this, to give your sexuality to Jesus. No matter where you are, give it to Jesus. And he knows how to handle it with care. He knows how to handle it with care. If you are sexually broken, Jesus can heal you. He really can. Give it to him. If you are young and inexperienced, Jesus can guide you and protect you. And with his help, you can avoid uh, some of the, the destruction caused by sexual sin. And your sexuality can be a joyful, healthy part of who you are. So give it to Jesus. If you are overcome with temptation, Jesus can help you. Jesus can help you. You are not helpless with him in your corner. And if you have failed, and if you have failed again and again, Jesus can forgive you. So give your sexuality to Jesus. Do you know why God created us with sexuality? Not simply so that we could reproduce and fill the earth with people. He created it. He created your sexuality to help you understand his love. That's what it's for. That's the end game. He created it so you can understand the intense love and joy that you can experience by being united with him. That's what it's all about. The, the intimacy and ecstasy of sex is meant to be a foretaste of something greater than that, which is the union between Jesus Christ and his people. And I wonder if, you know, the only thing on this earth that can begin to, to do justice to that ecstasy is what we find in sexual union. So, so if you are married and you can express your sexuality fully within marriage, good. Do that, but no, it is not the end game. It's not the ultimate thing. It's meant to help you understand God's intense love for you. And if you are in a situation of which there are many people here, if you're in a situation in life where you can't express your sexuality fully, that's okay. You are not missing out on the real thing, which is the union between you and Christ. Now, you even have a gift, single people. You have a gift that married people don't, which is an experience of anticipation and longing that God can use to help you love him more. So sexuality is a gift for all of us. And please learn how to handle it with care in a way that honors God. 
And I don't know anything else better for us to do than to simply surrender it to Jesus. You know, sex will not fulfill you, but Jesus will. Sexual sin promises sweetness, but it's bitter. Well, Jesus is only sweet, and Jesus delivers his promises. His love is a deep, satisfying well, and his love is a consuming fire that you want to burn in your heart. So let me, let me lead us in prayer. And um, I encourage you to surrender your sexuality to him. Lord God, you have created us with this thing called sexuality, which can be such a gift and also um, such a burden sometimes, such a source of pain and anguish and frustration. Lord, we know that, that sex is not the end, but you are the end. Sex is a foretaste. And so I pray that you would help us to, in and through our, our, our longings here on earth, you would give us a longing for you, the one who loves us intimately and intensely. I pray for brothers and sisters here who have been broken or burned, either because of what they've done or what has been done to them. And I pray for your healing. Jesus, you can heal and restore the most broken. You do not turn your face away from our failures, from our sin, from our shame. Give us the courage, Lord, to bring our brokenness to you and to find healing. I pray for marriages here that you would bless them, make them deep wells of this delight. And I pray, Lord, that um, I pray that each one of us would find the experience of our sexuality to be a gift from you and not a curse, not a, a substitute God, uh, nothing that would distract us from you, but something which calls us more deeply to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.